Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, so my conversation this afternoon is with Tessa Dooms around language politics. Very complex conversation. So we had a, a little pre-conversation before this. And my goodness, it went all kinds of directions. And I, I invite you to be a little bit open with this conversation because it's it's not one-dimensional. It's not black and white. It's I think it's a quite a complicated uh, conversation based on the history that South Africa has and its complexities around culture and language and, and, and use of language in politics in South Africa. So the lines are open, 891 Call in at whatever time as we go on on this language journey. Tessa Dooms, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Great to be here. So language is, is very complicated in South Africa because it's got such nuanced history and culture. Let's start with the transmitter of cultural norms and identity, language being the transmitter of cultural norms and identity. Well, I mean, um, language is one transmitter, right? There are other things that transmit clothing, yeah. um, symbols, ritual, um, but language is certainly an important one. I mean, uh, one of your WhatsApp messages, the first one that came through on your previous discussion, mm. um, just not being able to find a word mm. in English for something that is commonly referred to in Iskasa is already an example of a transmitter of language. So something that was a, that is a way of life for people, mm. they have language for it mm. in their, their context that they don't have in other languages. Um, I had a similar experience doing work in Lesotho a few years ago, mm. where we were a research team um, that was multilingual, um, but doing our research planning mm. in English on religion and health. Mm. And then going to um, Lesotho and finding that once we tried to translate our research questions into Sesotho, we could not. Hmm. The words for religion and health, as we had conceptualized them, didn't exist. Hmm. And we had to then start thinking about how do we even ask people what it is that we should be asking them. And it, we stumbled upon um, thinking about using the word bopilo as opposed to the word health. Hmm. Because people were like, what you're talking about for us is a much more dynamic, broad part of our lives mm. than simple disease, you know, the biomedical disease um, cure kind of way of thinking about health. Mm-hmm. And so even just that helps us understand that um, language teaches us about the way people think about the world, their worldview, um, the things they value, the things in the world that they see and engage with in their local context. And... Um, other languages don't necessarily always help people capture that. And that's what we mean when we say language is a transmitter of culture. Hmm. Because as you said it, I also was thinking of other terms that in other languages just don't exist and speaks a lot to the, um, how can I put it, the energy of the language, right? So, so there are terms that may be very ugly, in, in other languages and just don't exist in a speci- in an, other languages because the language just doesn't have the capacity to transfer that ugliness, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, definitely tone and posture, um, you know, issues around harsh or polite. Yes. Or direct and assertive yeah. versus being timid. Yes. All of those things are part of, and if, if think about cultural groupings in South Africa, there are um, stereotypes that we have in our minds mm-hmm. that are in a lot of ways based in truth about how certain cultural groups 
have a particular demeanor that other people don't have. Yes. And language helps with that, helps communicate that in many ways. Um, I think about Afrikaners. Um, I often used to say I taught at an Afrikaans institution um, of higher learning a few years ago. And I often used to say that I found um, Afrikaans to be a bit of a passive-aggressive language. People were really polite, but they could also be very um, aggressive in their politeness. And it was just one of those things that I found when people spoke in Afrikaans and how it transmitted a way of being, not just the language itself. It actually brings to mind, Tessa, I think it's a very recent case, a recent case of an Afrikaans teacher who, who used a very derogatory term. And her explanation was, but this is this is just how we phrase it in Afrikaans. There isn't another way we phrase this. And at no point do we have a discussion in my family or where I come from about what it actually means. I just grew up using the term the way I've used it. And I just didn't think that it's offensive, even though for us listening in, it was just blatantly offensive and racist. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it links to other questions around language and power, right? Mm. Um, that... You know, calling so even even in English yes. in the South African context, the use of the word boy and girl yes. to refer to people who work in domestic settings. Yes, that is it's also about power. Yeah. It's about having the power using a particular language and being part of a particular grouping to denote certain um, inferiorities or superior superiorities you see in others. So language certainly comes with certain power hierarchies. And dimensions that are important. And and in fact, um, when you when yeah. you think about the term, as you said, boy and girl, they, it would go further in my boy, Ooh, my girl, you know, in itself. And 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 sometimes used by the person using it in what they think as a very endearing way of of saying, "I love you," I but you're my boy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And the history of Afrikaans and English in, the, in in our country is exactly linked to those kind of politics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's exactly linked to even even um, tonality mm-hmm. and the tone in which you speak and, and 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 address people who are different from you. All of a sudden, you would say "my boy" when you're speaking to your son in one way, mm-hmm. and say "my boy" a very different way when you're speaking to an adult black man mm-hmm. who happens to be an employee. And, and all of those things are embedded. So when we when we say that we're worried about or we're concerned about why we have young South Africans who still have racist views on the world, a lot of that is because, like you said, the language they were raised with is still that language of their parents and their grandparents. And it implicitly denotes and implicitly has in it some of those um, underpinnings that are cultural, that are political um, and are historical. And we see it in across um, cultural groups. And and for me, the fascination, Tessa, and why this conversation is important for all of us is then how do we then find the cohesion, right? When when the tonalities are so different, and and some of these things are so embedded in their in people's cultures, in their homes, and how they were brought up, that it's so difficult to break that all up and show the other person that, in actual fact. It, that doesn't fly anymore. You know, in actual fact, that's that's not okay. When I receive it, it it's not okay to say what you've said. And and I've heard it, for instance, in 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 white families where they would call their children monkey, right? 
they would my my little monkey and and when i ju- i just couldn't i couldn't i could never call my child little monkey but but then when they say to us they think it lands the same way as they would say it in their home right and they those distinctions are so important because it lands differently to a black person yeah i mean it comes with a recognition that part of our history is a question of language mm. right um part of the colonial project part of the apartheid project part of um even the project of determining different ethnic groups in south africa is a project of language you think about the bantu um tribes i mean there's a there's a commonality across bantu languages there's a commonality around nguni languages that at some point became politicized mm. you know so we have to acknowledge that um language is political um i was i was thinking about my own example so my father speaks sitwana my mother speaks isizulu mm. they come from families who speak those languages as their home language mm-hmm. but my parents in the in the 80s raising three children in dorado park made a decision political decision to not teach us those indigenous languages because they were afraid that it would have consequences for us in mm-hmm. terms of our social standing our social status all of those things and so we, we can't um shy away from the fact that language is not just culture it's political yeah. and it's part of that and we if we're going to have a real robust um discussion about how we build a cohesive society we must be willing to have those sensitive conversations where our our, our culture is part of a political history that is not good that is not cute that is not um easy it's part of a um a political history even amongst different ethnic groups mm. that is not necessarily without you know its own problems and bloodshed and and divisions and we are willing to say what makes us comfortable what makes us uncomfortable you know what we're willing to still claim as culture even though it may be seen as offensive by others and and it's also complex right so we we don't talk often about the complexities because i often think about the africans african afrikaans speaking black people um colored others call them you know and because in in the colored community themselves people identify themselves differently so there are colored who want to be specifically called colored there are colored who want to be seen as brown there are colored who want to be seen and identify themselves as black i mean that in itself is quite nuanced but there there is a community that is afrikaans speaking black person that we don't often often talk about or recognize when we speak about the disdain for the afrikaans language yeah i mean and it goes beyond um, the question of colored communities of course colored communities have their own tie mm. to afrikaans um where you know afrikaans is part of how especially the cape malay communities really formed culture around that language mm-hmm. but even in contemporary south africa because of apartheid and the way in which language permeated society um even um black people from other ethnic background mm. many speak afrikaans yes and so when you say um afrikaans is the lang- language of the oppressor mm-hmm. that is contested today that's it it's not as simple yes. as you know this that's language it. means this thing or this language only signifies this group of people or this kind of political standing so so language is complicated in that sense but there's another way also in which language is complicated 
is that when you're now trying to acknowledge people, which mm-hmm. I think is something that was interesting about our Rainbow Nation moment, mm-hmm. was that um, we made a conscious choice that language would be part of our um, our identifying people again and seeing them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was always fascinated by realizing that um, the Zulu word for hello actually means I see you. Mm. And so language was used to see and recognize people's humanity again by saying we're going to make all um, all our languages official languages, which is an anomaly um, a- around the world. Many countries have even more dialects than we do, but yep. we've decided to take all of our languages um, and, and make them official. So we've Ex- made except, for the koi, except for the Khoi language. Well, yeah, that was also an interesting omission yeah. in, in all of that, which is being contested now. Yeah. But you can see that we, we took language very seriously because people put a lot of emphasis around language because of what positioning it gives in society, what it means for them to be able to preserve something that is close to them, like identity, mm. which a lot of our practices and a lot of our history tied to erode. Let's start dialing in 0891-104-207. Your WhatsApp notes as well are welcome. 0614-104-107. 0614-104-107. So then how do we find each other? Because because it's it's seeped into education as well. I mean, you saw, I think, two years ago where there was massive contestation around what languages land in what classrooms, right? In what in what districts. And in fact, it went even to varsities where at the University of, of Pretoria, was it was a big conversation around what happens to that Afrikaans language, which was, uh, you know, a, a second, very strong second language. And in fact, uh, many people would say, was treated as a first language in, in the University of Pretoria. Yeah, I mean, um, the education conversations are, are endless. Um, I think one of the important ones is the question about language as a transmitter of culture yeah. versus language as a tool for communication, and then could add into that language as a medium of instruction and a, a means for learning. Mm. Those, are, those are three very different ways to think about language. And I think, um, I mean, there are studies that definitely show Strongly, and that's why around the world you see so much um, so-called mother tongue education. Mm-hmm. So in Germany, people are taught in German, mm. even though they have a second language as English, yeah. so that they are international and all of those things. But in our context, that's that's a lot more complicated, because the the balance that we have to keep is, you know, how do you determine mother tongue education? How do you determine what is mother tongue education in our context? And do we do we have the ability to do it? You know, do we have the ability to provide mother tongue education um, in a multilingual society in a fair way? Do we have the resources to do it? Um, you know, to what point do we do it? But on the other hand, is there a need for us to find more common communication um, platforms? And does that look like, in our case, narrowing it down and saying our common language will only be English, as if that's not political in itself? Mm-hmm. Or saying, well, more people need to learn more languages so that we can communicate more broadly without excluding, you know, other languages. So I think that's a a really complicated thing. It's complicated because one would also argue that language, you know, there's the chicken and egg thing where you can make a language prominent. You, You can take the decision which language you're going to use to dominate and, and, and develop a culture and so on. So Afrikaans was it was a deliberate attempt and it was an agenda it was a political agenda 
to empower it. So when people say, for instance, you know, well, you know, there are other people who will argue, no, 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 they're, they're comp- complicated scientific theorems that you cannot teach in Isizulu, for instance. Well, Afrikaans developed that that ability for a language to have that. So it's not impossible. It's an imperative if you decide to go that route. But what is the decision that we've made? I mean, that's quite complicated in itself. And that, again, goes to that tricky terrain of whether you can do um, those exercises in equitable ways. Mm-hmm. Can you invest the resources? Because it doesn't just take, you know, intentionality. It takes yeah. resources yeah. and skills and effort and all sorts of things to create that multilingualism. Um, some people might argue, well, you know, do it by region or by province. But that could in further entrench ethnic divides. And it could further entrench divisions that, that become more complicated in our society and make people, um, you know, separate from each other more than integrate. Um, but I think that the, the other issue is why Afrikaans um, has got the reputation that it does. And English doesn't seem to have that kind of reputation in terms of being the, la- the language of the oppressor. We must remember that apartheid was also a, a it was an Afrikaner project, you know, mm-hmm. to distinguish Afrikaners from um, the Anglo-Saxon white mm-hmm. as well. There were also those kinds of tensions. Mm-hmm. But in today's society, we have a bit of historical blindness where we say, well, English is more of an international language. Mm-hmm. And so we don't attach those same, you know, kind of connotations, even though the mm. English were colonizers too. Mm. So we, we are a bit selective about what we choose to politicize, what we don't. Mm. Um, and we are not as willing to have the broad discussion of the implications of choosing a different path, which is more multilingual, which allows for the recognition of those languages um, that are not now in the university system, for example. Um, you know, do we, are we willing to put in the work? So that's interesting that you you say that because it's it's very rare that the English language comes up as as an issue, and in fact, oftentimes it only comes up in in francophone um, regions where where there is that difficult contestation. But but in in many parts of the world, just nobody brings it up. Nobody brings up how we got to this point. How you know the English language itself was the language of the oppressor. Yeah, maybe an interesting example of it is the U.S., where the U.S. actually does bring it up. You know, the U.S. says we have our own version of English, mm. and we reject the the colonizer English, <laughs> and we've created our own English with our own dictionary, with our own way of doing things. And they've been very forceful about that. So even um, English as a dialect and having a different look and feel in different contexts is something that's possible, but it's certainly not um, a conversation that we have as aggressively as we should, um, to say, you know, not only what brought us here, because you can say, well, you're just looking at the past, Mm -hmm. but what does it mean? So what does it mean to say English is the international language and that you can't succeed as a global citizen if you don't have it? What does it mean for those people for whom English is the first and only language in their country versus those people in our our context where for many people English is a third language, Mm -hmm. sometimes a fourth language? There's still disadvantages that come with the choice of what is recognized as the international language um, versus what is not and the politics of having one language over others. That conversation continues. I want to probe that a little bit more. And you can start dialing in 0891 
or send in your WhatsApp conversation notes 0614-104-107. Let's go quickly to the headlines while you dial in with Jolana Tulo. Call Pimelo Mutine now. Thank you so much for staying with us. Uh, we're discussing the politics of language in South Africa. Very interesting conversation. My guest is Tessa Dooms, a uh, social analyst, and uh, we're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. Rastau, you're calling from Polukwane. Thanks for your patience. Good afternoon. Yes, yes, yes. Good day, ma'am. Good day. Good afternoon. Go ahead. Uh, good afternoon, and even good afternoon to your guest. Um, such a beautiful, beautiful conversation we are having here. Mm. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's always what, um, uh, Rasta in the Caribbean have been trying to express with the language. What is it that we have been saying? What, what is it that we are saying at all times? I mean, the creed of Rastafari has always been word, sound, and power. Mm-hmm. Now, within, uh, word, sound, and the, it's the, the power is the, uh, ultimate power. What is it that you are saying? The vibration of your word has something to install. As you were saying, um, uh, words has to do, language has to do something with power. When, when, when a certain vibration of word reaches you, it, 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 change, it changes your, your vibration within your body. Mm-hmm. Like um, we, we have even words where <coughs> uh, reach both uh, uh, polarity. I can give you, for example, the word uh, evil, evil. Mm-hmm. When you spell it, it says E V I L. Yes. Now the inverse square log of that word is L I V E, which is live. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. So within this, uh, the language has been trying. Uh, the Rasta man always within his language has been trying to be conscious. What is it that we are saying at all times? I mean, look at the word uh, six. The inverse square log of that word is excess. Um, what is it that we are trying to say? Um, look at the, uh, the other word that says six. Oh, we've lost him. All right, let's just go to Tando in George. Good afternoon, Tando. Hi, hi good afternoon, ma'am. This is Tando, man, from Western Cape. Yes. Ma'am, I, I just want to, to this issue of language, is, you know, this is a very, very sensitive issue. Mm-hmm. I do not know that this, I, I really fail to understand how our country did never um, take this issue as the, 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 uh, give it the seriousness that it deserves, you know. Let me make an example. I'm from the Western Cape, right? Mm-hmm. And I can speak three official languages of the Western Cape very fluently. Mm-hmm. But what I have noticed ne, is that when you use, like I, I, I'm a closer speaking person. Mm-hmm. But when you are in the eastern, in the western Cape, mm-hmm. and when you use Africans and to speak to, especially mostly the white people in the in the in the in the western Cape, mm-hmm. if if you are a person that cannot speak Africans, they 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 see they look at you and they they, they view you as a very stupid person. Mm-hmm. Now, if I can speak, say if you are working in, in a company and I'm the only one that can speak Africans, they gonna see me as the the, the smartest guy in, in in that group mm-hmm. because I can speak Africans. And all those guys that cannot speak Africans, they will be viewed as, you know, they are stupid, they are dumb. Mm. You know, that is how, they, 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 you know, the, the, the Africans have used, Okanye, the white people have used the Africans as, as, as a, you know, I don't know, they, they've put power in that, in that language, ma'am. 
yeah. that that everyone that cannot speak that language is viewed as being stupid. And all those guys that cannot speak African, I'm going to be made a supervisor in my company. Mm. Doesn't matter what my qualifications are, or what my capabilities <laughs> in, in, in my, in my performance of my duties. Because I can speak that language, yep. they're going to make me a boss. You know, so that, that language has, has got a very, it's got power, man. And, and, and I think it's got a very unfair power as well. You know, you know this, this, it's, it's very unfortunate that we had the ruling here a couple of weeks back on, on, on that case of UNISA where they, they said that um, Africans must also be used as a media of, of instruction at UNISA. That is very unfortunate because, because what these guys are not realizing is that the Afrikaners have used the, their language as a weapon, you know, to undermine our people. You know, English is not our English is not our, our, our language. But we as black people, we manage to compromise, and we we we, we studied, in, we we learned in English from 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 primary to high school, with university, we studied in English, just because because we are people that always want to compromise. Hmm. Tando, thank you, you know, so much for that. I mean, it's it's. it's I'm not, thank you so yeah, much for I'm, that. Yeah, but I mean, it, this is very painful, man, and it's very hurtful yeah. because these guys, because because we we we, we indigenous South Africans. We, we, we leave our languages, our, all our indigenous, because I'm in the Western Cape now. Yeah. We, we, we don't fight for cause and anything, mm-hmm. but we just want us to, let, let us meet each other halfway. Let's speak English, mm-hmm. which is not our language. It's not their language as well, but they will fight to, to death for their Africans. So, so thanks very much for that, Tando. So Tessa, I mean, he's, he's pointing at a couple of things. Of course, language is, is a powerful tool and it, and it has power. And tonality has power, and it's also classist. So, for instance, if we only stick with the English language, um, I know that there are people who, even if they 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 got a C, for instance, in in matric, um, who comes from, let's say, it's a Saint John's kind of accent, as opposed to somebody who comes from Mahuilering and gets an A, their their CVs look different, and in fact. It's very likely in this country that the person that comes from St. John's with a St. John's English will be seen as better than an A student that comes from Mahuilering with a Mahuilering English accent. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, what the caller is citing even about um, Afrikaans and, you know, just that intelligence yeah. or competence yeah. being put with language or in, in the case that you mentioning accent is so common and so prevalent. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it comes from also the, the American um, context where, you know, you speak such good English, mm-hmm. which is always such a strange thing to say to somebody um, as a way to, to give them a compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because that this is this link that's been made between language and power and language and competence mm-hmm. that is really problematic. I mean, we, we have a South African politician, and I would name him for the mm-hmm. PR yes. uh, uh, you know, causing too much disruption, but who entered the political scene and has changed accents, mm-hmm. you know, depending on who he's speaking to. Mm-hmm. And that's a problematic thing. It's problematic because um, we know that, that you're trying to stand mm. to people's interests and people's perceptions of you mm. um, based on very problematic stereotypes. Hmm. Bon- um, and Yeah. Bongangoki, uh, thank you so much for joining us. You're calling from Pretoria. I'm just running out of time. Would you be quick, please? Hi. Hi. Hi, go ahead. Um, okay, my comment was, um, I had actually sent a message on WhatsApp saying oh. that there was a mother that had 
been criticized on social media uh-huh. because she insisted that her children would not learn English until they had learned their own language. I think it was mm. total. And everybody was criticizing her, saying, that, but you're being um, unfair on the child because this child is going to suffer um, and not be able to relate to her peers and not be able to fit into schools and all of that. I said, you know what, um, I understand that there is a need for um, equipping oneself with the English language and being able to fluently express themselves. However, you can't actually criticize this woman completely because firstly she's not saying that these children are not going to learn the English language. What she's saying is that primary to any other language mm-hmm. that her children must learn must be the language of her people. Mm-hmm. And I believe that language is greatly attached to identity. Mm-hmm. And if you lose your language, you are greatly losing who you are. You can't relate to your people as much as you should. You can't re- and and there's there's some relationship between undermining um, your people and who you are that is linked with this this uh, this ability that we have to communicate in the English language. Mm. Um, so I really believe that we should encourage more. Um, our children. I mean, nowadays you go and speak to a little child, and the mother will happily, you know, giggle and say, um, "Oh, she can't hear you. You have to speak English." And we applaud that as if it's something that is to be commended. It's actually something that should be discouraged greatly. Our children should know how to communicate as fluently, if not more, in their African languages, in the language of their people much more than they should in English. Mm. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't it doesn't mean that we shouldn't equip them with English because it's it's, it's important, yes it is, in the workplace, you know, if you go for an interview in Africa, in South Africa, you have less of a chance to get the job than someone who's as fluent in you know, in the English language. And that needs to be analyzed. That needs to be, you know, reviewed. And I ask the question, why is it that in South Africa you know, the, lang- the, the place of the African man. Why is it that the language, the primary language is English? Who decided that? For who? When? Why? Why was that the case? <laughs> and nowadays we have situations where we laugh at someone who can't express themselves well in English. There's a problem with that. I'm going to ask There's you to just, difficult. I've got to let you go. What an interesting comment. I'm going to let you go. We'll be back, Tessa. Uh, keep dialing in 891 at SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Hi, good afternoon, Pimelo. It's really here in Christiana. So with us South Africans, she due to um, many ethnic groups, yeah, we are unable to, to use a common language as, as our own language. But why Botswana doesn't use maybe Sichuana throughout? Because I think they don't have so many languages like uh, us here in South Africa. Thank you. Good afternoon. Such a fascinating conversation. Uh, Stephen from PE. I just just a question from me would be, um, firstly, why is this conversation happening in English? Um, just the answer to that would be great. And then also we talk of the colonizers and the oppressors. Um, I don't ever hear us talking much about the the earlier colonizers, which, which to me, as, as I understand history, would be the Ngunis uh, basically colonizing, being the first colonizers coming from the northern parts of Africa and colonizing South Africa, and thereby 
we've lost that touch with um, uh, with the koi, with the koi san, and even the language has gone there. So I understand we focus on the more recent history of the of the colonizers. Um, do we ever talk about that earlier history? Thank you. Hi, Pamelo. By the same token, Afrikaans was being forced in 1976 and even earlier uh, onto communities. So this is where what we have in the Western Cape and uh, Northern Cape and, and Kimberley, that Afrikaans wasn't a, a language of choice. It was forced onto people. Thanks, Frankie Pirimarasbeck. Sure. I'm so stressed that we've run out of time. So, the, uh, you know, so to address just the too quickly, the, 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 the voice notes. No, Botswana is used. Hey? Botswana is used. They, they do use Botswana as, as equally as they use uh, English. So just do a little bit of homework. You'll see that it is com- as commonly used as English. So that is that is across the board. And then with regards to the conversation around the colonizers, well, there's multiple levels to the conversation around the colonizer. But just look at the history of South Africa and look at the language dominance in in Sizulu there in itself says a lot so the word colonizer didn't specifically only refer to one type of colonizer I mean we went from Afrikaans we went to English and you can add the layer of the Nguni language as you can see now it is the most widely spoken African language in South Africa of course it comes from that history as well so Tessa your comments on this on the subject yeah, I want to answer the one question about why this conversation is happening in English. And it was part oh, of the yes. reason when, when yes. you initially asked me um, you know, to speak on this, that I said, I'm not so sure because I'm a product of language decisions that were made in my household that mean that I now am not fluent in any other South African language because my parents made very active choices um, to, to say, you're not going to speak other languages, you're going to speak English. And so I've, in my adulthood, had to learn, you know, bits and pieces of other languages and try and become fluent. Um, but that's become difficult because I only figured that that's important well into adulthood or well into my life. Mm. And so it, it does become, it, it just underscores the importance of this conversation mm. and the point that one of your speakers made about what political choices, what mm. cultural choices, what social choices mm. parents are making in what um, languages their children are raised speaking. And maybe to add a layer of complexity to that comment as the final thing I say, mm-hmm. is that on the one hand, yes, you, you want to uh, make sure that children are raised with indigenous languages because um, it has its own benefits both in terms of identity and in terms of social cohesion. But on the other hand, do parents have the time to do that? Mm-hmm. It requires um, a level of time and intentionality to make children bilingual or trilingual um, you know, how do you get that balance when you're also a working mom, when you're also, you know, only coming home at nine o'clock at night during the week because of your transportation? So your child is in a, a context like school where they're exposed to probably English or Afrikaans mainly. And now as a parent and as a family, you need the time and the resources to make sure that your child learns another language. And I think that those complexities also need to be taken into consideration when we, um, when we you know, make these judgments around what parenting decisions people make. And it's also complicated because th- just look at the, the intentionality of the parent who insists on being, you know, let my child learn this first. The only reason they have to do that oftentimes is because the community no longer exists to support that agenda. So she's the only one instilling it because if she doesn't, no one else is speaking to her child in her mother tongue. Therefore, the loss of rhythm and the loss of repetition 
instilling that language in that child. I mean, there's so many complexities. Tessa, we've got to go. Time has flown by so quickly. Thank you. Thanks for having this conversation with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Tessa Dooms is a social analyst. And thank you as well for taking part in this conversation and all the voice notes and all the comments that have come through. Really appreciate it.